When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody, and how's it going? I'm Alex Goldstick, and you are listening to the Spring Forward Pod. On today's pod, we have a great conversation with the leader of the Spring League's coaching staff, Terry Shea. His wealth of football knowledge and passion for the game over his 50-year career is unrivaled. The Spring League will wrap up its season in Austin this Thursday. Tickets are available now for the evening doubleheader, which will include games between former NFL quarterbacks in Johnny Manziel's South team and Zach Mettenberger's West squad. Game two of the evening pits Team East against Team North. Players will be signing autographs in between the two games, and children nine and under can attend for free with a paying adult. Find more information and tickets at thespringleague.com. Now, on to Coach Shea. Coach Terry Shea leads the coaching staff at the Spring League. The Bay Area native played quarterback for the University of Oregon from 1964 to 1967 and immediately joined the Oregon coaching staff upon graduation. He's been in the coaching ranks on a number of different levels and leagues with no interruption in his resume since then. Coach, welcome to the Spring Forward Pod. Great being here. Eyes up. So I'm going to go through your entire coaching history. You can stop me, we can get to the end, and then we can review some of the stops along the way, but it's fairly impressive, and assuming that you started playing football as a freshman in high school, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's been every year straight for football since 1960? Yes. And that's crazy, since you only look like you're 35. (laughs) I only feel like I'm 34. Okay, so you graduate Oregon, you're Oregon's quarterback, uh, 1967, 1968, Oregon grad assistant. Then you go to Mount Hood Community College. From there, you're at Utah State. Then you become San Jose State's offensive coordinator. Then Cal's offensive coordinator. From 1990 to 1991, you're San Jose State's head coach. 
which included two Big West championships and a, a well-known quarterback named Jeff Garcia. You then go on to become Stanford's offensive coordinator. You were then with the BC Lions in the CFL. Then Rutgers head coach from 96 to 2000, which included a Big East Coach of the Year award. Then to the NFL to be the Chiefs quarterback coach. Then the Bears offensive coordinator. Then the Chiefs quarterback coach. Then the Dolphins quarterback coach. Then the Rams quarterback coach. And then you actually get into a bit of a run of uh, developmental football where, where we're at now. That includes being the offensive coordinator of the Virginia Destroyers in the UFL. And then finally, with your uh, your Brian Woods connections, uh, head coach of the Boston Brawlers of the FXFL and the Brooklyn Bolts of the FXFL, and now the uh, two years at the Spring League. Did I miss anything? No. You, <laughs> that's great. So first and foremost, because most of the guys that we're working with here at the Spring League have the dream of getting to the NFL, can you just talk about your NFL experience um, and, and what that boils down to for you? Well, the NFL came uh, at the conclusion of my college run at Rutgers. So I spent eight years in the NFL, and I was very fortunate to uh, coach under Dick Vermeil. He was uh, my head coach for uh, six, uh, actually five of the eight years I was in the NFL. So I, I was really privileged from that standpoint. Um, I really enjoyed the quarterbacks. I think they're the most quality-driven uh, characters in the NFL. And when you're around bright young guys who really have a passion to want to learn and develop, uh, that that's a great environment for a teacher. And so that's uh, that's what I discovered about the NFL was uh, how motivated each individual athlete was. If they felt you could help them get better uh, in any way, uh, they were going to give you their 100% attention. Now, lately, and, and we talked about your last couple stops, but you've, you've shown an increased interest or at least an increased involvement in developmental football, whether that be the UFL, uh, Brian Wood's first venture in the FXFL, and now two years in the Spring League. Um, coaching is all always about teaching, but, but what does these developmental leagues bring to the table for you as a coach, whether that be uh, more rewarding or more opportunities to teach? There's a tremendous value I, I see in being around these kind of athletes because they are very highly self-motivated. They're only at the event because they have chosen to be. So it's not like we drafted them. And that's, that's, uh, that's where you get the more captive, you know, a player. But in this kind of an environment, you get the player that is doing everything he can to get to the event and then when he arrives for the event's duration, you've got a very attentive individual. You've got an individual that thrives on development, and he's very goal-oriented because most of every one of these players wants to eventually play at the professional level again. So uh, it's, it's a great environment, I think, as a coach to be in amongst those kind of athletes. Have you found that that uh, trait of the Spring League players makes them more coachable? Is it sort of similar throughout the ranks with your similar mix of players who are open to the, the coaching and some that, you know, are, are so self-confident that maybe they, they feel like they don't need it, whether or not that's true? Well, you know what I find is that you have to really stress to each player that's in a league like the Spring League is you've got to be open to learning and you've got to be willing to hear different approaches as to how to develop yourself as a football player. You know, they've heard voices all their entire life. And pretty soon they start to wonder, well, 
who do I want to believe? Who do I want to trust? And so you have to really make sure they understand that the two weeks they're here at the Spring League, they're here to get better, and that's the only that's the only reason we're here as coaches is to help them get better. Now, talking about the Spring League coaching staff for a second, um, let's talk about assembling it. How, is it. Are you reaching into your network of coaches? I mean, we've got guys like Donnie Henderson here, a wealth of NFL experience. Steve Fairchild uh, used to be the head coach at Colorado State. Um, are they all interested in this, this rich teaching experience from guys who have this dream? Or talk about how you assembled the staff here. And well, we have 16 total coaches, so... It worked out to where we have two coaches per position. I think that's very important because you want the quality of reps to mean something to the athlete. So we have obviously two coaches at every position. Most of them have NFL experience. If they don't have NFL experience, most everyone on our staff has head coaching experience at the high school level and or the college level. Uh, you know, we we have guys that uh, have spent a number of years in the NFL. I When I reached out to all of these coaches, and some of them are carryovers from last year's spring league, is that I wanted the staff to fit chemistry-wise. And one of the most important things I looked at was what kind of a, what kind of a personality is he? Because, uh, boy, you, you've got to have a real – openness to you when you come into a spring league as a coach and you've got to be adaptable and you've got to make sure that you have something to offer the player. So I, I felt like uh, that was the quality of, of almost each and every one of these coaches that's here at the spring league. You talked about the spring league last year, and this is your second year with the league um, out of the league's two years. But so this year, the league moved from West Virginia, rural West Virginia to Austin, Texas, a little bit met- more metropolitan. Uh, what changes in characteristics have you noticed about the league, whether it be more scouts coming in, whether it be players more excited to be in a city? Uh, what do you think Austin has contributed to the league itself? I think Austin has probably contributed more of a, uh, a tradition for football, and, and you can't help but feel it when you come into the state of Texas and you're in Austin specifically because of all the great you know college reputation this city has. And I just think it adds uh, just that extra dimension to the environment that these players start to absorb. Um, I like being in Austin because uh, it, there's a little, there's more of an uh, uh, just a, an energy uplift. Uh, whereas West Virginia was a very very neat facility, uh, but um, we, you never got the feeling like there were there were going to be a lot of attention given to the players while they were experiencing the uh, spring league in West Virginia as compared to what we receive here in Austin. Do you think the perhaps the isolation of West Virginia was better or worse for the players themselves? I mean, is it good that they can sort of unwind in a city or have the hotel in West Virginia yeah. to, to relax in? Well, I think there's, you know, when you talk about off-the-field activity, uh, sure, there's more options for a player. But, uh, boy, we've had, we've had no issues. Uh, all 150 plus players are are uh, well mannered, and uh, I make it very important that they understand the quality of being a gentleman and you know a a person that handles himself with class. But I think that the upside to it is that the players get more of a energy boost when they go onto the practice field or when they play in front of you know 2,500 people uh, in any given game day. 
So let's shift to the quarterbacks for a second. You, you being a quarterback guru uh, yourself, obviously Johnny Manziel, uh, one of the bigger draws of the spring league this year. Um, what has it been like to work with him during his comeback? Well, you or you, attempted comeback. Yes. First of all, he's been very attentive. Uh, he's uh, he's got a very solid football IQ, and so you're dealing with a young man that's bright, and he knows you know he knows how to play the position. What you learn from a Johnny Manziel being around him for the first time is that you realize he's he must have great uh, vision as a quarterback, and he's he's got the ability to use his feet to get out of trouble, and he makes plays on the practice field that you say, whoa, you know that's. That's what may, has made Johnny Manziel as good a quarterback as he has been throughout his career. So I, I know you don't have a rapport with him from before the spring league, um, but he recently gave an interview with Dan Patrick that said, you know, he wasn't the X's and O's guy. Do you think that, or when, when he was drafted, do you think that that's changed now that he's been here? Have you seen a change since he's been here? Or did he come in newly committed to football, and that includes the X's and O's of the game? Well, I, I really believe he's... He's uh, committed to football, and I'm not, I'm not sure it's been a change. I, I just don't have any background with Johnny, but he's been uh, very attentive in the meetings. He's uh, been very talkative. He's been very inquisitive. It's not like he's sitting back, you know, like he's on a log and just, you know, as a frog, he's absorbing all this information. He's, he's very proactive, and he shares his knowledge with the other quarterbacks in the room. So uh, from that standpoint, I've really enjoyed my my 10 days with Johnny Manziel but more importantly he transfers his information onto the practice field and he tends to have a very quick mind and he retains information so you can't you can't get better than that you just spoke about Johnny there are eight other quarterbacks in the room um talk about who's who's impressing you uh who's here what what kind of collection of guys we have here uh playing the quarterback position of the spring league? Well, we are fortunate to have a quality group, and I mean a group that uh, can spin the ball as well as most NFL quarterbacks, you know, except for maybe some of the real elite ones that are starters. So these guys have the, have the ability to spin the ball and, and accurately place the ball, and I think that's what allows them to be a really a qualified contender for you know a backup position or a number three position in the NFL, and you know having Johnny Manziel here, it's, it's it has not been like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I mean, we have had Johnny has had to really keep stay on top of his game to develop his game, but to even have a chance to separate him from some of the skill that's among the other eight quarterbacks. Now, this next answer doesn't have to be focused on the quarterback specifically, but but feel free. Um, Game day one, we had a doubleheader on uh, last Saturday. We're recording this on Monday night. Um, what were your big your big takeaways from game from game day one? Um, four teams suiting up for the first time after practicing for a week and a half, uh, give or take. Um, what did you notice? I mean, what what's it like installing uh, your game your game plan your your playbook in that short amount of time, and then and then see it, it executed uh, on the field amongst four teams? I was really impressed with how easy the offensive players absorb the play call. And, and so many of these play calls are the first time they've ever heard it in their career in terms of the language and the terminology. So they absorbed it. They broke, broke a huddle and they executed it. It wasn't 
obviously perfect every snap, and there is no football team in, in the country that, that can execute at 100% clip every time. But I, I was really impressed with the way they handled uh, the little nuances of the offense and the way, uh, for the most part, they, they kept the game very clean. There, weren't, there were not a lot of uh, nagging little penalties, and every once in a while we had an illegal procedure. But it was because our quarterback, I think, in essence, was trying to draw the defense off sides, and so it kind of backfired, backfired several times. But I was very impressed with with how they handled the material under competitive situations. And probably uh, the most impressive thing I walked out of that night with after watching four teams compete was I said, now where else in the world can a quarterback who is attempting to you know, improve his skills for the NFL, the CFL, get this kind of opportunity where they have to make game-like decisions and execute the offense. I mean, you just you don't do this when you're back home throwing against air to one of your best friends, or you don't get this be watching from your couch ESPN. So uh, I, I thought, man, where else can eight to nine quarterbacks – uh, get a chance to really challenge themselves the way they were challenged in those two games Saturday night. Now, just for the people listening, it was about mid-40s, super windy, very unseasonably cold for, for early April in Austin, Texas. You were still out there in your shorts. Is that your game day uniform no matter what, or do you just not feel the cold? At any point, did you did you look around and say, man, it's not nice out here? Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt I felt the cold. And it wasn't because of my shorts, but it was because... I mean, I, I felt the cold coming right through the upper body and uh, the, the the hands and and I, our our guys played as if the elements were not a factor and uh, I thought that was also m- most impressive. Uh, you were just talking about where where else can a quarterback get this chance and and other players as well get live game reps, full pads in April. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of your recent interest in developmental football, but from prior to these past three, four years when when you've been involved with the UFL, the FXFL, the Spring League, from a NFL executive or coach's standpoint, what does developmental football look like in the United States or in North America? Because uh, the Spring League certainly fills this void of allowing post-collegiate players to get film to try to re-pursue their dreams or pursue it for the first time. I think the most important thing is to elevate the level of play to where an NFL evaluator or a pro evaluator will look at the, you know, the level of play and say, you know what, that is pretty darn impressive in terms of the c- competitiveness and the skill level. And uh, so from that standpoint, I think the spring league serves a tremendous purpose. You don't want it to be like a semi-pro environment. You don't want the NFL to look down and, and say, you know what, shoot, uh, we might as well be playing touch football or flag football. Uh, that's what the spring league, in my opinion, overcomes, and it overcomes it in a very consistent way. We've seen scouts at practice you know, for the last two weeks. The uh, game day, there was an entire media box full of scouts. Um, have you talked to any of them about what's going on in general, about specific players? Have you been approached by any of these scouts and – uh, given your take on, on what's going on? I've been approached by several. Uh, I don't necessarily talk to each and every one of the scouts. 
I'm sure they get a great information on what they see rather than listening to a coach, you know, describe it. They probably see uh, an opportunity to talk with Brian, and Brian Woods is a very knowledgeable, you know, individual. So that that may be a lot of the con- communication. But the the several scouts. In fact, I just had a scout today say, you know what, Terry, this year's spring league is he is even better in terms of the skill level than last year's. And uh, I said, are you sure? He said, without a doubt. He says, we were discussing that as a group of evaluators, and we were convinced after watching practice today, this was by far uh, a, a more skilled group of players than, than what we had last year. And are you too close to the product to sort of see that? And, and it takes someone coming in from the outside maybe just once a year for one day to tell you that and you to look around and say, well, you're right? Or I, I <laughs> I think that's a, a you, spot on for you because, I, uh, you know, when you're amongst the trees, you just feel the, you know, the, the impulse of, of what you're working with. And I felt last year's group, uh, we had some really talented individuals that have gone on and played very well for the uh, 2017 season. So, uh, you know, I, maybe the scouts – can see it better, and uh, and that's great. If they can see it, God, I think that's more exciting. So focusing on, on you as a person, you as a coach for a second, this morning um, in the team meetings, you gave out your famous Big Hunk Awards. Uh, the Big Hunk is a, is a chocolate bar. Don't get any dirty ideas out there, anybody. But tell us about uh, your famous uh, candy distribution for, for a reward system for players. Well, the Big Hunk is for big chunks, and uh, we always try to have fun with it. And it started with me in college, and then it carried with me uh, through the NFL. And where I thought, shoot, these NFL players are going to—they're going to just blink on this one. But they bought into it. It's like, you know, some of these ten-year veteran NFL players really like they were at the candy store for the first time. So uh, I've carried it along, and uh, it's become kind of a signature for the for the spring league. But what we do is we just recognize outstanding play. Uh, sometimes it comes in the form of an interception, a sack, a touchdown, uh, a 47-yard field goal, or a player who, for whatever reason, had to play on both sides of the ball uh, because of a maybe an injury to one of the, one of the offensive players. So we we just uh, it's just something that I love to do, and I'll tell you, I get the great reaction. Uh, I don't care if we're in West Virginia or Austin, Texas. We get a great reaction out of the players. And what is the big hunk bar? Is it is it tied to your past in some way? I know it's from California. <laughs> it's not tied to my past, and I don't have stock in the in the candy company. But it's it's hard to uh, find throughout the country, and it's it is uh, it is made in uh, Northern California, but and that's where I grew up. But uh, I don't think it has any connection to to my uh, to my upbringing. So. Uh, we, we sort of talked about you being a, a QB guru, and, and that's been your calling card over the years. Um, you have written a bestseller about that, and we don't need to get in the book necessarily, but can you just talk to us about some of your, your star pupils over the years? We talked about Jeff Garcia was your quarterback when you were the head coach at San Jose State, but you've worked with some of the most ne- memorable names in football yes. over the years. Yes, and I've really uh, been privileged because a lot of these guys are really driven. But I remember coaching uh, at a very young age at Utah State, and we had two quarterbacks that year drafted in the NFL, and that was the first time that had ever been done since 
1957, I think, when Rice had two quarterbacks come out. Same year, two draftees. That doesn't happen very often. So it started at that point, and it just has uh, been a great journey for me. Uh, maybe my most favorite quarterback had to be Trent Green when I was at the Kansas City Chiefs, and I coached him later at several other NFL teams. But, um, boy, I've been privileged to coach some of these young college guys coming out, preparing for the draft. It started with uh, uh, Matthew Stafford. Uh, I remember Sam Bradford, Josh Freeman, uh, Robert Griffin uh, from Baylor, and it's just been a great ride for me. And you, you just mentioned Trent Green, and he's actually a great example for the guys in the Spring League as someone who, who really claimed his starting job pretty late in his career for an athlete, you know, late 20s. Great, uh, great, you know, great, uh, great point because Trent was drafted back in the days when they had uh, seven rounds, and he was a seventh-round pick, I believe. Now, he might have been part of that 11-round era, but I remember Trent telling me he was really the – almost the last round of the draft, and he had to b- bounce around. You know, he went from the Redskins to the CFL and then back to the Rams, and then he eventually landed with two Pro Bowl uh, uh, appearances at the Kansas City Chiefs. So um, he, was, he, w- he was certainly a, a quality young man with great leadership skills. You talk about him bouncing around as a player, but I can only speak for myself, but I think a lot of sports fans are sort of curious at this uh, you know, journeyman lifestyle that a lot of athletes and coaches live. And you've been in coaching for 50 years, and, and we, we kicked off this episode with a list of where you've been, and it's all over the country, including Canada. Um, is that cool? I mean, is it where do you consider home to be these days, and, and what stops along the way have been most interesting to live in? Well, my home right now is in Kansas City. And uh, uh, when I went into the NFL back in uh, 2000, that's where I started. So that's where I've ended up in terms of location. But, you know, um, there was one moment in my NFL journey where I was on the Miami Dolphins staff, and we were there together as a staff for only nine months. And our head coach was let go immediately following the, uh, uh, the season, and I was the quarterback coach. And I looked down the hall that particular moment of time, and I saw a bunch of cardboard boxes, and I shook my head and said, wow, what the public doesn't appreciate is the fact that when the head coach is released, there are about 16 other assistant coaches, and all of their families are now subject to being moved. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's the raw side of the NFL, or from, for that matter, from you know, football coaching. And now it's happening even at a faster pace, I think, a faster rate where coaches are getting released in the middle of seasons and that sort of thing. One, my most proud um, moment as a head coach, was, which was uh, seven years at the college level, and one, my very first year I was the, you know, privileged to be selected as the National Coach of the Year by Pro Football Weekly, and I was just a first-year coach. But one thing that I, I'm most proud of is I had seven years as a running head coach and I never released one of my, my staff members. And that kind of loyalty uh, is, is uh, a forgotten quality among so many of the head coaches these days. And that's what was so great about a Dick Vermeil. And, I, and I, just, I just cherished the fact that I was able to coach under his leadership. And he, he brought that same loyalty. But today, you don't feel it. You don't see it. And it's, it's uh, probably the ugly side of, of coaching. 
wrapping up, I mean, you, you've got over 50 years of coaching experience, um, and you're running around on the field. I, I saw you, you know, beating Gerard Evans in a sprint uh, on the field the other day. Uh, is, is your focus in coaching these developmental leagues and, and teaching guys who are looking for that chance? Um, is there a chance you try to look to get back into the pros? What's, what's the outlook from, from Terry Shea for the next five years, let's say? You know, I'd be, I'd be really excited if I could continue to coach in, in a spring league. That, that's, that's kind of my niche. I still train quarterbacks, and I love training the quarterbacks at all, all ages. Most of them are college slash uh, NFL guys. But, uh, wow. For me to have this kind of an opportunity, I'm not looking to go back into the NFL. Uh, I, I, that, that doesn't, uh, that's not what triggers my, you know, my energy. And uh, being here in the Spring League is, is what I love doing. And, and the Spring League provides more football than may have existed a couple of years ago. So uh, very glad to have you on the podcast. Very glad to have you in the Spring League. And, and thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thanks, Alex. It's been a pleasure. That will bring us to the end of this episode of Spring Forward. I had such a great time talking to Coach Shea, so a major thank you to him for recording with us and for all he's done on field for the Spring League to date. One more reminder that tickets for Thursday night's doubleheader can be found at thespringleague.com. You can follow the Spring League on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Spring League. You can find me on Twitter at AGStick and on Instagram at ThisIsMyOtherIG. All music was provided to Spring Forward by Joshua Rosner. We'll be back soon. Later. Later.